The Voices of Search podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything podcast network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. Bridge Toll, California, customer service number. Highway miles to the gallon, Ford Focus. Thailand Cave Rescue Operation. What is Schema F? Best wine bars in San Carlos, California. Best Western hotels. How old is Ronaldo? What happened with Big Brother? What's a good engagement? How long before a wedding should I send out save the dates? Use IMAP to check email on other email clients. Identify fonts from where to find the best. Welcome to Optimization October on the Voices of Search podcast. I'm your host, Benjamin Shapiro, and this month we're going to point the microscope at your content in what we're calling Optimization October. Joining us is Jordan Cooney, who is the lead SEO strategist and CEO of Search Metrics Inc. And today, Jordan and I are going to talk about what you need to know to make October the most optimized month for your content efforts. And this podcast is also sponsored by Hrefs. What if I told you that you could monitor your website's SEO health, backlinks, and organic rankings at no costs? Sounds too good to be true? Well, it's not. Because my friends at Ahrefs just launched Ahrefs Webmaster Tools. Ahrefs' new Webmaster Tools product quickly helps you improve your site's visibility by pointing solutions to over 100 technical issues that might be holding your search performance down. Plus, AWT monitors for backlinks so you'll know the most linked to pages and how those links are affecting your rankings. And AWT shares what keywords your website ranks for and compares how you stack up against competitors for key metrics like search volume, keyword difficulty, and traffic value. Look, monitoring your website used to require multiple expensive tools. And now, thanks to Ahrefs, that's not the case anymore because AWT will help you monitor your SEO health, backlinks, and keywords for free. And no, it's not one of those 14-day free trial offers. It's a powerful site audit tool that will keep working for you for free. So check out Ahrefs Webmaster Tools at ahrefs.com slash AWT. That's A-H-R-E-F-S dot com slash A-W-T. Okay, on with the show. Here's my conversation with Jordan Cooney, lead SEO strategist and the CEO of Search Metrics Inc. Jordan, welcome to Optimization October. All right. Um, is there any Halloween themes that we're going to be including into this episode? How about I just do a wolf howl and we call it quits? I'm not sure where our listeners are going to enjoy that, but let's just continue. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, moving on. So Jordan, we're here to talk about content optimization this month. And I think the important thing to think about is, first off, what is content optimization? Talk to me a little bit about what you think content optimization really means. Yeah, well, content optimization in its fundamental form really even predates SEO. It's fundamentally the practice of making content more useful to the end user, to the end consumer of the content. And this goes way back. I mean, this goes back to traditional print and newspapers and and magazines and other periodicals, leveraging various tactics to entice readership. And in some cases, it's experience-based. But obviously, in in most cases, and in many cases, it's really about the substance, the text and how you optimize the text. 
So going in the Wayback Machine, pre-internet era, content optimization was how readable is your content? What's the format? Is it eye-catching, right? You know, what's the font you're using? Is it appropriate for print? Is it big enough? There's lots of content optimization that's been happening in the pre-digital age. Uh, Now that we're here and there's this little website called Google, I think you've probably heard of it, Content optimization also has a different component where it has to do with how you're ranking. Talk to me about some of the newer techniques going beyond just, is your font pretty? Is it usable? Does it provide utility when somebody is on a page or piece of marketing collateral to what actually helps drive visibility? I think some of the fundamentals are the same. The big differences here is that there's so much more data available to us. We can visualize and understand the optimization that's taken place in near real time, which we couldn't do ever before. And so in this now Google-esque world, content optimization has taken a form in in two directions. Uh, One that is really focused on the text, right? So we've talked about this on many other episodes, things like TFIDF and other really core elements around, is your text meeting the criteria of the topic? The other component that content optimization really starts to move down is experience. Does the experience warrant the value that the consumer or the reader is looking for? And does that match the topic? So I think that what you're getting to is that it's a data-driven practice, right? Content optimization, we have all of these signals that we can send to Google to have them understand what a piece of content is. And we're able to measure whether what we're writing on the page is actually driving visibility. But here's the thing. You and I are not the only people that are creating content. Talk to me about the competitive practice of content optimization. Yeah, so the competitive practice, this is where it gets really insightful. And in my opinion, this is the one area where we can uh, reverse engineer not only the nature of what content strategies are being used, but also what preferences or ranking factors Google is taking into account for different topics or categories. Uh, Ultimately, the competitive nature of content optimization is the practice of understanding or dissecting your competitive landscape, and then creating criteria to understand what is working or not working within that competitive portfolio. It is a practice that can be automated in many cases. It's something that we do here at Searchmetrics within what we call our content experience platform. But it is a practice that's been used for many years already. I mean, there's a lot of companies that have different approaches to looking at certain competitors and then segmenting what it is that they're doing on their site to perform in Google search. So when you're going through a content optimization exercise, how much are you looking at your internal data, trying to understand how your content is being accepted and, and viewed by Google? And how much are you looking at what other brands are doing, trying to understand where there is an opportunity? In my opinion, that's an 80-20 rule. I mean, you spend 20% of your time looking at your own data and content optimization. You spend 80% of your time looking at what's happening in the market, what's happening on your competitors, and what's happening in Google search. Really? Because I assume that it would be the opposite for an 80-20 rule, where you're spending 80% of the time evaluating your content and trying to optimize it based on your signals, and spending 20% of the time looking outward to try to understand what the landscape looks like. Why such a big focus on what the rest of the world is doing as opposed to how you can improve your own content? 
The way that we look at content optimization, not only at search metrics, but I think a lot of really strategic brands, the way they look at content optimization is that this is an offensive practice. This is a, a set of tactics and efforts that are going to allow your brand, your assets, your content outperform everybody else. And in those kinds of situations, you really need to understand everything else that's going on outside of your own ecosystem to really attack the market and, and outrank and outposition and grow your traffic in a very competitive practice. And again, remember, we're talking about content optimization here. If we were spending all this time talking about, say, content creation or going through the content process or going through the, the structure and taxonomy of your website, these other topics are far different from the optimization discipline, which is really focused at gaining market share, gaining positions, gaining traffic from the competition. Okay, so when you're looking at competitors to try to understand what's driving their success or, or their failures, what are some of the signals you're looking at? What are you trying to understand about the landscape so you can figure out how to improve your content? So there's the basics, right? So there's the foundation. There's all these identity and tactical elements. Things like, what are the core topics that this website is addressing? Like if we take e-commerce, right? Like, so what are the categories and the category structures? I mean, we were, we were just analyzing as a team a athletic wear website. And on that website, it was really fascinating. They actually created running bundles. So they bundled three or four of their products to create a new product that is a running bundle. You know, it included like tights and like a sports bra and like a, you know, maybe even like a little coat or jacket. And like that became a running bundle. Very creative. And what that allowed them to do is gain more market share, gain more keyword rankings. And now they're one of the top brands in the running category when it comes to running apparel and footwear. So when you're going through the content optimization, this seems like something that most brands aren't doing constantly. Talk to me about the cadence. Is this a, you know, once in a blue moon thing? Is this something that you check in on once a year, once a month, once a quarter? Or are you just always optimizing your content? That's a great question. And this is a, a topic that we spend a lot of time analyzing. And I would encourage all of our listeners to take the advice on cadence as one to be mindful that this isn't just a data-driven approach, but this is also how your business is structured and how your resources are structured. And different businesses have different sets of resources and you have to work within what you have available to you. But in general, cadence and how often you optimize your content is a derivative of your category, the industry that you're in, as well as the nature of your competitors and how they're managing their content process. So let's take like someone like Newsweek, for example. Their cadence of optimization is going to be quite frequent. They have to be optimizing their content, whether it's evergreen content or news-based content, because they have both, very frequently because of the nature of their competitive set. And so again, this is a partly outward-looking exercise. But in this particular theme, when we talk about cadence, you also have to, also have to be mindful of like what kind of resources and, and leverage do I have internally to make this plan take effect. So I think the story here is that you know there's a an opportunity to be optimizing your content consistently. And that really comes down to your resources. But you know, when you're doing content optimization, it's not a time-bound thing. It's something that's going to evolve over time. And so 
you have an opportunity to constantly grow and get better. It leads us to the topic of over-optimization. When are you spending too much time optimizing your content? Is it possible to tweak and iterate too much to the point that you're actually hurting yourself? Talk to me about over-optimization. Hey, this is one of the topics that I'm, I'm actually quite passionate about because over-optimization is a theme that's starting to really bubble up a lot in the SEO community and in the content community. So there's a lot of content owners and writers and editors who've been pressured by SEOs and SEO tools to really emphasize certain keywords or utilization of certain keywords or utilization of certain topics. And this theme has emerged of over-optimization. Oh, you're over-optimizing everything. Oh, stop stuffing everything with keywords. And I really want to make a clear distinction here between what is over-optimization and what is a variety of different tactics that shouldn't be utilized. And so over-optimization is the force by which both your content, the actual text that's on your pages, is combined with the experience is creating a negative outcome in your results. And that is largely an outcome of the two elements overemphasizing certain themes or topics. So what I mean by that is that you have text that's on all of your pages, right? You own the text, you own the copy, but then you also own the experience. So if we use the e-commerce example, you may have uh, product descriptions or category descriptions and reviews maybe even UGC on the page. And those are all, that's all text that you can control. Subsequently, you also have products and you have inventory and you're displaying subcategories and other things. If those two experiences combined overemphasize the topics and themes that you want to rank for, you can in essence be over-optimized. But it's a combination of both of those factors. What this often gets confused with are themes like keyword stuffing, which is overusing a keyword in your copy, or it becomes a theme that challenges the use of data, things like term frequency or vector frequency in your copy, because SEOs or copywriters say that those data points will force me to overutilize keywords in the copy or the page. In a nutshell, there are these tactics that you shouldn't practice And then there is over-optimization, which is a combination of both the content and the experience together. And I hope that SEOs and content owners can really take flight with this theme because over-optimization, it is not the practice of these tactics that is really the root cause of a lot of the problems that websites run into. Time for a one-minute break to hear from our sponsor, Previsible. So you're looking for SEO help, and you got a couple of options. You could start replying to spam from agencies that claim they can get you to rank number one on Google. You can pay an hourly rate for a consultant who will inevitably nickel and dime you with hourly charges. Or you can work with a cookie cutter agency to quickly launch a strategy-less project with low success rate. None of those sound very good, now do they? Well, that's where Previsible's integrated consulting model comes in. Previsible draws from a collective 40 years of SEO and digital marketing experience to unlock your organic growth opportunities. They build custom solutions that combine strategy, technical expertise, content, and reporting to effectively operationalize SEO for your business. Previsible's four-stage approach ensures that your SEO programs thrive by starting off with a strategy-first approach. 
Then they support you in your efforts to create quality content, help you identify technical issues, and most importantly, they'll work with your cross-functional teams to integrate your SEO strategies to make sure that your SEO budget actually drives results, not just your agency's bottom line. So join brands like Yelp, eBay, Canva, Atlassian, Square, all who rely on the SEO consultants at Previsible. For more information, go to previsible.io. That's previsible, P-R-E-V-I-S-I-B-L-E dot I-O. My favorite tool at Search Metrics is content experience. And the, the gist of what that tool does is it tells you, you have a page and if you want it to rank higher for X keywords, you need to include these words on the page. And I think that we're related to the topic of over-optimization where you're starting to use the keywords that can help you rank. And and most people don't have search metrics content experience or a tool as effective as that tool. So they're just putting keywords in to try to rank for a specific term. And to me, the line in the sand where you get into over-optimization is when you are putting in something that no longer makes any sense and you're deteriorating the overall experience by making your content harder to read, harder to understand, or you're just crowding the page. Am I thinking about what over-optimization is the right way? You know, To me, it's when it affects the experience. Exactly. That's the piece that I think a lot of the industry overlooks is the fact that over-optimization is in essence when it crosses over into the experience. And I'll give you a great example, right? We've talked about this on other episodes, the flower syndrome. If you look at a lot of the flower websites, any of the flower websites, 1-800-Flowers, ProFlowers, Teleflora, all, all of these websites. Shout out to FTD.com. <laughs> exactly. If you go to the bottom of any of these flower websites, they are all using a keyword stuffing and link stuffing strategy, bottom of the fold, often a very lightly shaded gray color text with a blurb about a dozen roses on their dozen roses page. And this, in essence, could be considered any one of 10 different tactics that shouldn't be used. In the experience, though, the overall experience, Google has said, hey, you know what, we're we're good with this. We're going to keep ranking these websites. So in reality, are they over-optimizing? No. As long as Google doesn't crack down on it and the rest of the competitive set is playing within those rules, no. Are there a variety of tactics here that I wouldn't agree with and I would advise them not to continue doing? Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit more about who's doing content optimization well. Who are some of your role models or templates for content optimization? Sure. Uh, I think there's a lot here that we can unpack and look at. One of my absolute favorites is, and really a darling in my opinion of the content space, is NerdWallet. So NerdWallet has really captured the hearts and minds of the finance and loan and insurance industries by producing great content that's educating consumers on these, these products, right? How do I get a credit card? How do I get a bank account? How do I get a mortgage? And they've done an amazing job of marrying both the ability to address very specific and very high-profile topics, things like credit cards, things like bank accounts, and do it in a way where the experience is not just addressing the main pain point, but allowing consumers to understand what's next, to understand the sequence by which you need to go through 
to open a bank account, to set up a, your insurance policy. And so, you know, one of the things that I think they do really well is throughout the, not only their content itself, but through many of the navigations and experiences, you know, they'll explain to you like what is required if you want to switch your bank account. Uh, what is required if you need to set up an account as a foreigner in a different country. And they really bring you through the sequence of steps. So this is an amazing resource that goes beyond just addressing the topic with your content. Okay, so they're doing a nice job of creating a high volume of optimized content, but also there's utility there because it's educational walking their customers through the flow of what they need to understand to be a consumer of their products. Give me another example in a different industry. Who else is doing a nice job with content optimization? How about somebody in e-commerce? Yeah. So, I mean, one of the great e-commerce examples that I like to talk a lot about is is Nike. And Nike is a unique one because although they are in the e-commerce space and they're trying to sell their products direct to consumers, they are also the manufacturer. And and one of the commonly known facts about the e-commerce space is that typically the manufacturers of these brands are not great at dealing with the e-commerce end of things. But one of the great things that Nike has done is when you visit a lot of their pages, they are producing not just a category page or a product page that has information or inventory. They're also providing very valuable insights on the page. So they're providing, in an essence, not only a description to that category, but in some cases, they're adding in values with like learn more, additional details about this category or this inventory. They're bringing in expert content on the producer or the designers of these products. And that has really helped them elevate their content to a place where they're ranking for more themes and more topics and not just ranking for core branded terms, which would be expected, but getting into other subcategory or head terms that are incredibly challenging and very competitive with the retailers that are in that space. So give me an example of that type of head term. Yeah, Ben, that's a great question. And one of the great examples I like to bring up is uh, girls' basketball shoes. A topic near and dear to my heart. (laughs) I'm sure it is. But I think it's actually really pertinent because for a variety of reasons. uh, First of all, they've really started to expand their product inventory in this category. But also, you know, this is a space that's been predominantly dominated by retailers. For a long time, brands haven't been able to really penetrate these subcategory type themes like girls' basketball shoes, they're now ranking, I'd say, in the top one or two positions. And it experience where they're not only showcasing the inventory that's available, but actually talking about some of the innovation of the designs that they've created for girls. And so I think that's really what makes this page really unique. And again, it's about how do you differentiate both your experience and your content to rank higher. So give me an example of a brand that you think isn't doing a great job with content optimization. Where do you see people struggling? Absolutely, Ben. And you know, the interesting thing here is that one of the key brands that we kind of monitor and they have some ups and downs with Google is Forbes. Forbes has a very aggressive experience that I think a lot of consumers would consider a bit intrusive. And combined with the fact that a lot of their content and the content experience behind it can be very burdensome, right? So a lot of clicks to access the content. Sometimes the content is very superficial in terms of its depth. 
But Forbes is one of those brands that we constantly monitor for this core theme of content optimization. Many of their assets are very valuable. It's not to say that they've never produced good content. They certainly have. That combination of a good set of text with experience is one that I've seen Forbes go up and down with. And I'd say that right now, they're one of the brands that we've noticed struggle as of late when it comes to their visibility and their ability to control rankings uh, due to content optimization. So here's the thing that drives me nuts. I, you know, Forbes' content is great in terms of what they're writing about, how they're writing it. The thing that drives me nuts is you go to their page and it's like pop-up after pop-up and video showing up overlaid over the text. And I just, I can't actually read the article that I want to read. Is that what you're considering content optimization? I mean, are you counting that as part of the page? Absolutely. That is, in essence, the experience that is prohibiting users from consuming the content that they want to access. And really, at its core, the experience in many cases, as, as you mentioned, is really the big blocker to having an enjoyable and ease of use on Forbes. The content itself is often really giving you what you want, but it's so difficult to get a hold of it and to really consume it that I think that it's a disservice, lack of content optimization within that organization. Outside of Forbes and their myriad of pop-ups and ways that they're disrupting their high-value content, are there any other examples that you think of people that are not doing a great job with content optimization? Who's struggling in this department? Another example, and, and this isn't a new one for folks, is going to be one of the, the old demand media brands, WikiHow. And they've been one of those brands where it's really difficult for Google to determine if the substance of the actual content that's being presented is addressing the consumer's problem. I'm sure all of you have experienced this. You visited a WikiHow page and you go, boy, that did not answer the question I had. Bounce back to Google, you do four or five more searches, and you finally figure out exactly what you're looking for. And that ultimately is at the crux of content quality, which is one of the tactics that exists that we, we didn't discuss in detail, but that's really at the core one of the major issues. But it's a combination of experience that WikiHow has taken. They've taken the strategy of using a very like icon-like visual experience with the content substance that they provide. And they're another one of those brands that we've seen over time here struggle in maintaining their rankings and position in Google. So at the end of the day, when we talk about content optimization, this is much about the words that are on the page and sending the signals to Google as it is figuring out what the right experience is and making sure that the consumers that are on your page are actually getting utility and you're not disrupting that experience. Jordan, any last words about content optimization? Absolutely. I think that one of the things I want to encourage everyone to really consider is that data is not your enemy, but overuse of data is a lack of judgment and a lack of good insights. And so ultimately, you want to use data to get to insights and help inform your content teams, your business teams, your marketing teams to drive towards a structured way of producing great content for your users and informing the other teams that control the experience. And so combining that content resource with the webmasters and developers who are building the experience, that is the recipe to great content optimization. 
Content optimization is a great example of SEO being a combination of an art and a science. There's a data-driven component, and there's also a judgment component, which is how is your consumer going to consume the content? Are they going to get what they want and stay on your page? And we're going to investigate this topic for the rest of the month. So that wraps up this episode of the Voices of Search podcast. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Jordan Cooney, lead SEO strategist and CEO of Search Metrics Inc. We'd love to continue this conversation with you. So if you're interested in contacting Jordan, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact him on Twitter. His handle is JT Cooney, J-T-K-O-E-N-E. Or you can visit his website, searchmetrics.com. And a special thanks to Previsible for sponsoring this podcast. If you're looking for support with all of your SEO needs, Previsible's integrated consulting model is there for you. They draw on a collective 40 years of SEO and digital marketing experience to help you unlock your organic search and growth opportunities. So join brands like Yelp, eBay, Canva, Atlassian, and Square, all who rely on SEO consultants at Previsible. For more information, go to previsible.io. That's P-R-E-V-I-S-I-B-L-E dot I-O. And a special thanks to Ahrefs for sponsoring this podcast. Monitoring your website used to require multiple expensive tools, but that's not the case anymore thanks to Ahrefs because they just launched their Ahrefs Webmaster Tools product, which monitors your SEO health, helps you keep track of your backlinks, and gives you the insight into what keywords are performing for free. So check out Ahrefs Webmaster Tools at ahrefs.com A-W-T. That's Ahrefs, A-H-R-E-F-S dot com slash A-W-T. Of course, if you have general marketing questions, if you'd like to talk about this podcast, or if you're interested in being a guest on the show, you can find my contact information in our show notes, or you can shoot me a tweet at Ben J. Shap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. And if you like this podcast and you want a regular stream of SEO and content marketing insights in your podcast feed, hit that subscribe button in your podcast app, and we'll be back in your feed later this week. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, remember, the answers are always in the data.